honestly for about a month after i came out of jail i was getting nightmares i was still not back on my feet i was still not steady this is episode number 60 of the inspiring talk with chetan mahajan Welcome guys to The Inspiring Talk. My name is Vijay Gautam. I'm host for this show. Each week I interview today's most successful and inspiring personalities to help you realize your inner potential. Welcome guys to yet another episode of The Inspiring Talk podcast with my guest for the day Chetan Mahajan. Guys, Imagine being arrested wrongly and you have to spend 2 months in jail for someone else's mistake. Well, that's exactly what happened with my guest Chetan few years back. He was put behind the bars for the case against his employer. After this episode, Chetan was terrified and had nightmares, but he didn't let that define his life. He wanted to make something good out of the darkest phase in his life. He went on to write a fairly popular book called The Bad Boys of Bokaro Jail, published by Penguin. Chetan has served in several corporate leadership roles in his life before he packed his bags and moved to a remote village in Uttarakhand with his family. He runs Asia's first writing retreat called Himalayan Writing Retreat which offers a wide variety of retreats and workshops for writers. He is a TEDx speaker and passionate blogger. I met Chetan at Professional Speaker Summit in Chennai where both of us shared the stage and I was very inspired after listening to his story and invited him to share the same with you. On this episode, we talk about how Chetan landed up in jail. How was it like to be there? how he dealt with that phase of his life and story of moving to live in a village and lot more guys before we dive in if you are listening to the inspiring talk podcast for the first time make sure that you subscribe to the show so that you won't miss upcoming episodes with amazing guests and if you have been listening for a while i would truly appreciate if you could leave a review and rating for this show wherever you listen to it now without further ado let's dive in Welcome guys inside this episode of the Inspiring Talk podcast Chetan is here with me Chetan welcome to the show Thank you thank you so Great much for joining here. me Yeah so we met for the first time in Chennai last month at professional right. speaker summit where uh, you and I both were speaking there and right. when I got to know about you and your story there I wanted mm-hmm. to share it with my listeners so Before we talk about um really you know get into the uh, conversation today I would like to know uh, how's life there in village and what what's keeping you busy Well uh life is good uh very good actually we have it's a lot of beauty around us as clean air and what keeps me busy is really two things it's uh, teaching and it's writing so I write and I also teach people how to write and uh, it's very fulfilling in many ways What are the benefits of living in a village as compared to living in a city well uh there are uh, you know both cases there is there are trade offs mm-hmm. uh, when you live in a city you make a trade off you decide that you will be more comfortable with let's say traffic and pollution and crime and some stress and maybe you know um just air quality and things like that 
but uh, you have access to uh, occupation uh, opportunity. You have access to what uh, most people would call good schooling and uh, mm-hmm. so on. And when you live in a village, you're doing another set of trade-offs. What we are trading off for is uh, nature, is cleanliness, is a very simple life, which is not hurried or hassled. Uh, but in that process, we, uh, you know, I can't order pizza. I can't, mm-hmm. uh, I can't pick up the phone. I can't go to a mall or watch the latest movie. And, uh, you know, how you make that trade-off, I think, really depends on who you are. But mm-hmm. uh, personally, just being who I am, I'm, I'm much happier in a village kind of a setting than in a city kind of setting. Hmm. So how far is it from the nearby city? Well, uh, depends on what you call a city. From Delhi, it's nine hours by road. The nearest city where we get all our supplies and where you have like a big bazaar and uh, and Max and, and one mall with a with mm-hmm. a fourth screen multiplex is a town called Haldwani. And okay. that is about three hours from here. Mm-hmm. So then you are in pretty remote area. Yeah, to give you a sense... Um, our gas agency is 30 kilometers away. The nearest petrol pump is about 30 kilometers away. Wow. So uh, <laughs> it is, uh, you, you have to plan life a little bit. So what's the reason behind uh, relocating to the village? Well, like I said, it's it's really about the trade-offs. And, uh, you know, you live in the city because you think that there are benefits. So mm-hmm. the, first thing, the first reason why most people live in the city is because it's a default. It's a habit. We, uh, you know, we got into professional life, our career. And we decided that we realized, actually, it was not even a conscious thing. You just know that if you have to do a job in a big company and you have to build a corporate career, you have to be living in a city. Yeah. So it's not a conscious decision that you make. And then it becomes a habit. And we just continue Mm -hmm. to stay there. And uh, sometimes there are things which force you to question that habit or that default decision. And in our case, it was really about uh, when uh, my son, Anhad, he started wheezing at the age of six. And, mm-hmm. uh, you know, we would go out on holidays and we would do various things and he was perfectly fine. But mm-hmm. the moment we would be in the city, which in this case was Gurgaon NCR, uh, he would start wheezing very desperately. We went and visited the doctors and we met various people and everybody said that, you know, if you have to live here, it has to be like this. You have to put him on medication, buy, you know, buy nebulizer, stuff like that. And uh, that was the kind of uh, tipping point. That is a place where we really started to question, why do we have to live in the city? Why does it have to be this default? And Mm -hmm. is there another choice that we can make? And um, so uh, we explored and we we traveled a lot and we met lots of people. And then we finally decided that uh, we did want to leave the city and move to a village. So we left uh, almost exactly four years ago. And Mm -hmm. uh, we've been here for these past four years. And uh, at least in hindsight, the decision has been an excellent one. What are the different roles or different, uh, you know, work that you have done before you thought of moving to the village? Well, before I uh, left the city, I was a fairly uh, traditional corporate career. I started, uh, you know, dabbled in a few jobs and I landed up in advertising, which I really enjoyed. I spent Mm -hmm. four years in that. Then I was in the learning and development space with a Tata company called Tata Interactive Systems. I was there for eight years and uh, I was based in Chicago that time. And uh, I also earned my MBA from a business school called Kellogg. Uh, Then we moved back to India in 2007. And we've been here since. And uh, basically, over the last uh, 10, 11 years of uh, having been back, I've been doing various kinds of work, general management, uh, a couple of startups, but all in the education and training space. So uh, that's really been the background. In my last corporate role, I used to run a company called HCL Learning Limited. 
before you moved to village and before even you took that responsibility for HCL, you landed up in jail for all the wrong reasons. Yes. Would you like to talk about how you uh, ended landing up in a jail and uh, uh, what was that period for you like? So uh, this was one of those, uh, you know, corporate accidents where uh, unfortunately the innocent party often gets to bear the brunt of it. But I had just joined this uh, company called Everon, which had once upon a time been a darling of the stock markets, but that time it was struggling. It had mm-hmm. been acquired by a new management uh, and uh, they had pulled in a lot of uh, fresh talent and I was part of that turnaround team. And I just joined in October. And in December, there was a big blowout in one of our centers. Now, the context is that actually when I got into the business and I started looking around and I started looking at what all, what all was actually there in that division, which was handed to me, I was supposed to be in charge of one division of uh, of the business. There was actually nothing in that division. There was just a whole bunch of, uh, you know, there was no skeleton in the cupboard because there was no cupboard to start with. The whole thing was just a sham. And mm. everything was just uh, just uh, kind of whitewash, except for one small business, which was in the coaching and test prep space. And in that small business, the only successful unit was the one in Bokaro. Okay. And we had a terrible flame out in Bokaro. A lot of our faculty left and all the parents were up in arms. The company had made a lot of promises which had not been kept. And uh, it was on me to take a decision what I would do as the leader of that business. So I decided there was only one thing to do. And remember, my DNA was, you know, having worked with the Tatas and with MNCs. So I never had a doubt about where where my company would be in something like this. And uh, so I uh, I flew down to Bokaro. I met with the parents. I told them that we are not snake oil salesmen or some, you know, shady company. We are a very strong company and we now have a very strong backing and the right kind of uh, intent as far as doing business is concerned. And all the promises we had made would be kept. Hmm. But the parents weren't really interested because the parents said that, you know, we've heard this story before and uh, we don't trust. I mean, they had lost faith in the brand, the Everon brand. Hmm. So that means a lot of rumors were happening about the organization around. Yeah. So there was a lot of discontent. People had come and made promises. The staff there had repeatedly made promises, but even the staff weren't being able to meet them because they didn't have the resources. So one thing led to another and the parents said that, look, if you don't get an instant refund of all our money, we are going to file a police complaint. Well, this was a Sunday and uh, there were, you know, hundreds of parents. So there was no way to do the refund instantly. And mm-hmm. so they actually filed the police complaint and uh, the police came and arrested me. And mm. the cops said that you have 24 hours. Uh, if within 24 hours, every single parent will uh, pull back their complaint, then uh, we will free you. Otherwise, we're going to put you in jail. And uh, as you can imagine, uh, because, you know, I did go to jail. <laughs> the parents were not convinced. <laughs> they did not pull back the the complaint. And I did land up going to jail. And mm. uh, it was very, very scary for me. It was frightening because uh, you, you can have an imagination. You can have some idea or some sense for various other places where you might think of going. But mm-hmm. jail is never on that list of possibilities where I <laughs> with my background would land up. And yeah. uh, I think the biggest fear was the fear of the unknown because the only thing which gives you any impression of jail is movies. Mm. And uh, jails are never nice places in movies. You know, people are getting beaten True. up, they're getting raped, they're getting, you know, killed, yeah. murdered, uh, uh, you know, all kinds of things. So I really was very, very petrified. And um, that was the biggest uh, thing for me. So it was very, it was terrifying when I was sitting in that police jeep with those four cops around me. Mm-hmm. And uh, it was late night on a December, you know, uh, so it was well after dark when I was taken to the jail. It was positively scary. 
So Chetan, you have mentioned about uh, going into fear of unknown, right? Yeah. In in that situation, uh, we'll definitely talk about how you got out of there and you know what were you thinking. One thing I quickly would like to understand from you is how has that experience? First, uh, like let me put it this way. So has that experience uh, helped you in terms of overcoming the fear of unknown in your life and other dimensions of your life? If yes, then how how has it helped you to overcome those fears? So uh I'm not a person who gets very afraid to start with. Uh usually I'm uh even if I say so myself, but I'm usually fairly brave in adverse situations. And uh but but uh, Bukaru and the whole experience of going to jail and surviving it and actually making something good of it did give me the confidence of uh you know knowing that I would be able to turn even difficult situations around in the future. And mm-hmm. uh Uh, actually moving to the mountains moving to our little village here in the himalayas was um, one such situation where we were dealing with a lot of unknowns so, uh, because i had quit my career uh, you know we didn't know what the schooling uh, you know we knew what the school was like but we didn't know how well our kids would fit in it was mm. a completely different frame of reference different neighbors i mean we were complete strangers in the, to this place where we came True. we didn't have any friends or family we didn't have any connections and um, i think somewhere we got confidence from I got confidence from that experience that I can make it work because I'd done it once before. Mm, brilliant. So once you landed up there, what were you really thinking because uh, that was something that you have never experienced. You yeah. <laughs> obviously didn't have that in far of your imaginations that you will land up in jail, right? Now you were there. Have you went through any sort of denial that this is not me? I mean, it it couldn't be happening. uh the focus was not really uh, i mean the the emotion at that point in time was not denial it was really survival because i was there so there was no mm-hmm. way i could convince myself that i was not i mean i was sleeping mm-hmm. on the floor i was surrounded by uh people who were you know uh, accused of various kinds of crimes and uh i was eating jail food i was talking to those guys in the local dialect and uh i was there so then the question was how can i survive this and how can i make something good about, good of it and um you know initially that whole fear of how will i survive and how will i manage was overcome my father turned up he spoke to the jailer i was put in a slightly different ward so that uh, that whole uh, you know uncertainty became a little less and uh, the fear of being mistreated or or beaten up or anything i mean i i knew that i would be safe and secure and i would get food mm-hmm. and strangely enough the biggest problem inside jail once you've taken care of your security and your food is boredom because okay. uh, mm. you have nothing to do in me- it's digital detox you don't have your laptop you don't have your uh, phone you don't have any friends to talk to uh, family also can visit only once a day and my family was in delhi so mm-hmm. uh, you know my 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 father my brother my brother in law lots of family people came in and visited you know turn by turn but even they would come for half an hour one hour in the day the rest of the time i was entirely on my own with absolutely nothing to do mm. and that's when uh, you know i could have kind of i had a choice to make i said i could have you know gotten depressed and i could have uh, you know just kind of put my head down and said why me and kind of blamed the whole universe or uh, you know it was a the choice i did make was to say that i i i'm going to make something good out of this experience even though this sounds like nothing good can come out of it i will turn this around mm-hmm. and uh, so i started looking at what were the positive constructive things i could do while i was in jail mm-hmm. uh the first of those things was running i was a runner In fact the morning I got arrested I had gone out for like a 7 8 uh, mile run in the local park in Bukaro okay. because we were training for a marathon my wife and I and mm-hmm. uh, so I started running 
I started reading a lot because that's one thing I've always wanted to do. And as you know, in our busy corporate lives, we never have the time yeah. for it. And the third thing I started doing was writing. Now, writing was something I was new to. I'd never written or published much before, just one odd article. But I just felt like, you know, that was one more constructive way of being able to make something good out of it was to just write everything down. So I wrote down the stories of all the people around me. I wrote down, you know, what was life in an everyday basis in 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 a jail. I wrote mm. down what were the systems and processes, how money came in, how drugs came in, what were the different kinds of criminals and what were the privileges various criminals had over the others. I'm using the word criminal generally, but this was a district jail. So it was a jail of under trials. Mm-hmm. Uh, but uh, but that was those were the really the three things based on which I was uh, I was trying to keep myself sane was reading, writing and running. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, and, and when I left that jail, I had like two full notebooks full of scribblings. Wow. So it took me a month for to, to get even bail. And that was really the inefficiency of my employer. But mm. uh, I finally did come out. And when I came out, it was end of January. I'd spent Christmas and New Year's inside the jail. Mm. And uh, I'd come out with these two, uh, two thick notebooks, which, which were full of my writing. Which later got published into the book. But initial idea was not definitely to publish whatever you were writing inside jail as a book, right? So that, that was totally, uh, you know, you trying to keep a journal of, of, of the experience that you were facing there and the kind of circumstances that you were in. Exactly. So when I was there, it was just one of the one, one thing to do instead of drinking or smoking or taking drugs, uh, mm. I was choosing to write. So it was just one more constructive, positive thing to do. At that point in time, I had no idea that it could ever become a book or it would ever become a book. It was impossible to say what would come of it. But it was just uh, it was just trying to say, stay on the, you know, away from the dark side. So, Or maybe also <laughs> having conversation with yourself. In a sense, yes. It's a way of having a conversation with yourself and also noting down everything because you otherwise forget. Yeah, true. So how did the book thing happen after that? So uh, when I came out, I realized that what I had was not anywhere near a manuscript. And I actually bought a few books on writing. The the one that is most memorable is a book called On Writing Well by William Zinsser. Mm-hmm. It's a fabulous book. And so I essentially became a student of writing. And I started teaching myself, how do you actually write a book? What are the various elements? What are the things I should do? What are the things I shouldn't do? And how can I make this uh, you know mass of garbled text into something which people will pay money to buy and read. Mm. And uh, so I worked on it for a while. I first, I, I mean, actually, honestly, for about a month after I came out of jail, I was getting nightmares. I was still not back on my feet. I was still not steady. Yeah. And then uh, and then the case got cleared. My name was cleared. Uh, you know, I also kind of recovered. I picked up the job with HCL. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and I resumed normal life, so to speak. And that's when I started, you know, I could actually go back to all the writing and I started transcribing it into the computer. And after I transcribed mm-hmm. it and I had it as some kind of a narrative, I sent it across to Penguin. And uh, interestingly enough, they said that, you know, uh, the premise is very interesting. The, the broad framework is interesting. And if you're able to rework it and uh, and really kind of make, you know, then they listed on like 15, 20 things which I needed to do. They said, if you can do all of these things, then we would be interested. And they also hooked me up with a gentleman called Hussain Zaidi, who is quite well-known crime writer, and mm-hmm. said that maybe Hussain will be able to help you and he'll be able to advise you. And with that arrangement, we then went forward and uh, kind of, so I worked on it and I reworked on it and edited it some more. Then... It was about a year after my release that the book was actually published. After 
having that journal that published into the book uh, and yeah. which uh, was also kind of memoir for yourself maybe otherwise you might have forgotten whatever that happened over there inside the jail so my question to you um chetan now is what is your definition of freedom uh <laughs> i think the first thing the first definition or the first part of freedom is recognizing your own constraints you know uh, if i have to go to an office 9 to 5 if i have to do things especially that don't agree with my values or if i am uh, being forced to work in a certain way which i think is fundamentally uh, you know not in keeping with my belief system uh, then i would ask myself if i was really free uh, we all live in some constraints and some of those constraints give us joy i mean i am a father of two and i think that's a that's a beautiful experience for me and uh, so 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 step 1 to freedom is uh, to recognize what your constraints are because a lot of us like i was saying we just go through life with all our defaults of ha huh, we have to live in a city we have to do this we have to do that and we don't even question those assumptions and that is a you know that is that is kind of putting blinkers on a horse because you don't want to see the other options because the other options might be too scary and the second part of freedom is once you have these options available once you have all these possibilities available then the power to choose uh, to say that i want to do this and i don't want to do that and a lot of freedom is really about your attitude i mean uh, you know even if i were to talk about my own experience it was a freedom that i had of you know within any set of constraints you always have some choice that you have to make and that is part of the freedom that we have so my choice to write instead of uh, you know start doing hashish or charas which was freely available inside the jail or uh, is it yeah 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 absolutely or if you decide or the choice to you know uh, leave the city and leave a comfortable high paying you know corporate job uh, senior management role and all that and and to decide to move to a completely different life with a lot of uncertainty uh, so all of that is is a definition of freedom can there be even more freedom you know there's always it's always a matter of degree but i think the baseline is really understanding what your choices are and then being free to make make that choice and having the courage because often making that choice requires courage hmm having the courage to make those choices i really love the way you have put the definitions of freedom so after you know you came out of the jail were there any situations or the people or the kind of rumors that you have to go through or have you come across them if so how did you manage that or how do you deal with that so see i think i was lucky because all my uh, my family my close friends they were all rock solid and they never once had any question mark in their mind about my being innocent or guilty they were always by my side and it was really beautiful to uh, you know to have that kind of support now beyond that there were some acquaintances and obviously people heard that he had gone to jail so you would come across the occasional guy who would you know look at you or you know they would not ask openly but at the same time mm. you know when when they looked at you you felt like they were wondering yeah. so there were always a few people like that but nothing that bothered me because mm. really you don't i don't care so much about acquaintances or people who i kind of know one meet once a year as long as your friends and family are are with you the rest of the world i mean can go take a hike i really don't care so after you know you moved to a village and obviously you had no plans of uh, starting a writing retreat uh which yeah. is asia's only only one are there any uh, other right the only one that we know of but maybe after this podcast they'll reach out to us but <laughs> <laughs> yeah so uh, you had no idea of starting a writing retreat right but no. uh, again uh, there was a brief moment of uh, confusion because you had no idea you just quit the job and you were moving to this new village uh, village and then you had no idea what you were going to do about right so what was that moment like for you 
So, uh, yeah, when we left the city, you know, what I had was a little bit of consulting because I was senior enough that people would pay me for my opinion. But once I had left and, you know, I was out of the network and I was out of, you know, I wasn't being, being able to do as much of FaceTime and things like that, uh, that consulting also quickly dried out. And then I realized that I was pretty much, you know, basically I was unemployed. Uh, saying that you're a writer is just a polite way of saying you're unemployed. <laughs> and <laughs> and, uh, uh, and uh, I had a family to support. I had two kids going to school. My wife fortunately had a small income because she's a clinical psychologist and her practice, which was thriving in Gurgaon, had uh, reduced, but she was still doing work on phone and Skype. But uh, it wasn't just about the money. It was also a professional crisis because I wanted to be doing something productive. I wanted to be gainfully uh you know working towards something that's when i realized that you know it's not just a challenge it's also an opportunity because now if i have to rebuild my life and in the village there's nothing there are no jobs there is no you know real opportunity a couple of ngos around maybe you could work with them but uh, i was either overqualified or uninterested hmm. and uh, so i i realized that it was actually an opportunity to build something which uh, which would really be uh, what i would love to do if if you if you hobby is your job then you don't have to work for the rest of your life and i figured that if i can you know create some kind of uh, work for myself which i feel passionate about which i truly enjoy then it can be the best of both worlds it can be a source of income and it can be um, and it can be uh, you know something that we so the hobby and the work kind of fuse into one and it becomes a positive experience yeah and uh, with that goal um, i started looking at what all was there in my kitty what all were my interests which i would like to make into a career and uh, i do have a lot of hobbies i run a hike i ride a motorcycle and i've spent 22 years in the corporate world before i'd moved mm-hmm. so there was a lot of uh, possibilities that were out there so we tried a lot of things i i went and taught at a local business school and i created uh, tour maps for motorcycle companies and all kinds of things and then uh, kind of hit upon this idea of uh, the himalayan writing retreat what was the himalayan writing retreat when we started off it was just a very fuzzy notion saying mm-hmm. since i pub- published with penguin people would take me seriously as somebody who can teach them how to write and after my book had come out lots of people had come to me you know people who were similar to me in background saying you know i really wanted to write a book but i don't know how i don't know where how did you learn blah 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 so i kind of drew up my wish list of all the things that i wish i had known when i was going about my book publishing kind of journey and created a curriculum out of that and then we kind of hung out the shingle and the first one we didn't have anything we didn't have a website we didn't have any kind of database we didn't have any marketing mechanism i just i had a, this blog that i used to write called uncity uh, which is really about leaving the city and moving to the village and uh, on that blog i made a small page called the himalayan writing retreat and we just put the lowest price that we, that could get by and um, put together a description and i called my friend roy abraham who was a copywriter in bangalore uh, in bombay mm-hmm. and between the two of us we uh, kind of strung out a curriculum and we decided on the session plan and everything and the surprising thing was that uh, seven people turned up and uh, after those two and a half days that they spent with us six of them left uh, giving us a five star review wow so that kind of gave me the confidence i was you know I, since i'd come from training the feedback was the most important thing everything else was detailed yeah and uh, that gave me a lot of confidence that you know there is something out here and uh, then i started kind of looking at the writing retreats uh, and i realized that there are a way of life in the us and there's there were lots of people who were interested in various things and i also felt that there was an opportunity to do blogging and then i spoke to our, our mutual friend kuruba and kiruba said mm. that yeah i'll come and i'll do the blogging course for you 
so all of that worked very well together and uh, so the next year we had about 6 7 events wow and uh, it's been like that and and but all of this time we were basically uh, running these events from uh, you know rented places so it would be a friends bungalow with five bedrooms or it could be a resort where we would hire out five seven rooms and stuff like that what happened over time was that we realized that uh, it would be the simplest if we could have our own place so uh, i had bought land and i was kind of starting to build my own house and instead of it being a house then it became a it became a physical place called the himalayan writing retreat hmm. and uh, that's where we've been doing our events now and uh, it's it's really caught on we have people coming in from all over teachers as well as students from pretty much all over the world and uh, including the us lots of people come from the us well that's and amazing. we have now an event calendar of about 15 17 events in a year that's amazing it's it's very interesting when you go through that kind of situation or the challenging phase in your own life and then turn that into something which is meaningful for the rest of your life would you have realized uh, this passion of yours about writing if you had not been to the jail unlikely i i think it's unlikely that i would have become a writer that was really you know just getting cooped up with nothing else to do that i discovered writing then of course i i i started studying it and i and i got better at it and i'm still a student more than a teacher yeah. mm-hmm. but uh, yes i if i had not gone to bukaro jail i probably would not have discovered writing chetan when you look back at that experience because you have been able to turn that pain into the power of yours so when you look back at that experience so how do you feel or what emotions uh, comes to you you know to you when you look back at those experience now um so uh there is some amount of pride because uh, uh i was handed a bad deal and i was able to convert it into something worthwhile mm-hmm. uh i do feel grateful because i think a lot of the the things that are involved in all of this are luck uh you know uh, it's at a point in time when there is no other writing retreat in asia of this of this sort no physical destination for writers in asia it was at a time when penguin was interested in my jail story and so they actually picked it up so mm-hmm. there were many things which could have failed which could have fallen through in the journey and uh, you know taking all the credit would be a little foolish of me uh, but there is uh, there is definitely a very strong element of luck and just fate uh, because of which uh, things have worked out and uh, and i also feel very grateful for the family that i have i mean you know i don't think any one person can make this journey mm-hmm. if uh, me and my wife were not completely aligned and she didn't get on along with me and say you know let's go uh, yeah. this would not have happened so i think there's a lot of things which kind of really conspired and brought things uh, to, uh, to to this point uh, which have made it all so positive and so good for us that's amazing so if somebody is going through the situation that you were in or you know going through the darkest phase in their life what would be your message to those people well, my message really is that you know it's never as grim as it looks at that point in time when you're standing at the bottom of the valley and you're looking and everything else around you seems to be black and bleak uh there is even then some place something good that can be built out of it there is something constructive and positive and you can try and make the most of wherever you're at uh i know that sounds cliched but really um you know uh if you persist and if you have the right attitude and you come at it with positivity and say that i will make something good of this very often the universe kind of helps you along just like it did for me amazing chetan now it's time for the enlightening round are you ready sure so chetan your story has inspired a lot of people and the kind of work that you do has inspired you know um, so many people out there and through your book as well so what inspires you to do everything that you do 
uh, it's love for what I do. Uh, if I did not love writing, I wouldn't have uh, set up the retreat. If I didn't love writing, I wouldn't be writing myself. Uh, I wouldn't be blogging. So it's, I think it's really finding love in your work, which which makes it meaningful and joyful. Which one daily habit do you believe has been game changer for you in your success journey? Well, I am a morning person and I rise up early and that's a great time because the rest of the household is asleep and I'm able to do my, you know, writing undisturbed for a couple of hours every morning. And uh, that's been a pattern, not just now as a writer, but even before where I've always been a morning person. And I think that has been, uh, that has been really helpful. And the second uh, is also, I think, just being very aware of my fitness. So I stay very fit. I walk, run, do various things. And uh, that just makes life so much easier and so much more fun. Hmm. So could you share a book or two that has influenced you personally in recent past? Well, uh, so uh, the the one book I already mentioned on writing well by William Zinser, that's a fantastic book on writing. Another book that I think should do India proud uh, is called uh, Kissing the Demon. Uh, and uh, that is by a lady called um, Amrita Kumar. And it's a book about writing again. It's a book, book on how to write a good novel. Okay. And a uh, brilliant book. And uh, yeah, those two, I think, really stand out for me. So, Chetan, if you were to start this success journey all over again, what are those three things that you would have done differently? Uh, first, I would try avoid going to jail and write a book outside jail. <laughs> <laughs> uh, second is uh, I, I would have uh, tried to make this leap much earlier. I think uh, I stuck around in the corporate world for 22 years. And uh, the initial part, I did have a lot of fun. I gained, I enjoyed myself. But I had stopped myself, uh, enjoying myself quite a while back. And then I still hung around and kind of just went with the flow because it was, you know, it was, uh, it was difficult to break the habit. Hmm. But I wish I had left uh, a long time earlier. And uh, yeah, I also wish that I had started writing earlier because if I had started writing earlier, writing comes from writing. You get better as a writer from writing and yeah. by studying writing. And um, the earlier I had started, the better a writer I would have been today. So mm. it should have started starting to write at 42. If I had started at, I don't know, 22 24. or 12, I would probably yeah. be a lot better writer than I am right now. True. So could you share some online tool or app that you use on a regular basis? Maybe that has helped you in becoming, uh, let's say, better organized or maybe disciplined or maybe fit or, you know, generally that has helped you become more effective. So uh, as a writer, you know, one of the things that we often need is an editor to help us uh, relook at our work from a slightly different lens and to uh, evaluate our work and to look for not mistakes, but bad habits which have crept into our writing. And my favorite app is one called Hemingway. Uh, it's, a, it's available online for free. Uh, it's www.hemingwayapp.com. Mm -hmm. And you can also download it for $20. It's a Hemingway app. And uh, it's beautiful because it 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 flags off a lot of things that you we are taught to not do as writers. You know, use of passive voice, uh, overuse of adjectives, or uh, having hard to read or very hard to read sentences, stuff like that. So Hemingway is uh, probably my most favorite app, and I use it even for writing like long emails and things like that. I run them through Hemingway mm. because it just helps us unclutter and make our writing much cleaner and easier to read. Awesome. So, Chitan, we have come to an end of this interview. I have got one more question left for you. But before I ask you that question, if people would like to learn more about you and maybe get in touch with you, reach out to you, or maybe, you know, possibly attend one of your retreats, uh, what is the best possible way to reach out to you? 
the easiest is to go to our website it's himalayanwritingretreat.com so www.himalayanwritingretreat.com is the easiest way to reach out to me and then we also have a facebook page and a google presence so uh, uh you'll find all our contact information my phone number my email address is all out there so chetan here's the last question for you so imagine that you are standing on a stadium let's say mm-hmm. this one is the largest that has ever been built in the history of the world and right. there are millions of people sitting on that stadium and they are eagerly and passionately listening to you and would like to hear from you and there you right. are standing at the stage and you have got only 1 minute of the time to share the most important lesson that you have learned in your life what would be mm-hmm. your message believe in yourself because if you have belief in yourself then you will be able to take the most difficult situation and turn it around uh if you have belief in yourself then you will listen to yourself and you will understand who you are because you will realize what you like and what you don't like if you have belief in yourself you will be able to follow the path of what you feel passionate about instead of following the herd mentality which is what uh, you know a lot of education and a lot of social influences do for you so uh, at the end of the day you have to have confidence in yourself as a person and you have to know what you care about um and be able to question the societal norms that are imposed on you and you will not be able to do any of those things if you don't have enough belief and faith in yourself as a human being and in in your abilities you know as a person believe in yourself it has been phenomenal thank you so much for being here chetan i really enjoyed having this conversation with you thanks so much bijoy and uh, it was a pleasure being here and thank you so much for inviting me hey guys thank you so much for listening to this episode of the inspiring talk podcast i hope you learned something or got some inspiration out of this episode if you did make sure that you share this episode with your friends and family by visiting theinspiringtalk.com forward slash six zero that is theinspiringtalk.com forward slash six zero you can also access all the links and resources mentioned on this episode by visiting theinspiringtalk.com forward slash six zero sixty Guys, I'd love to have your feedback about this episode and this podcast in general. If you have got something to say about this so good, maybe bad or something that you feel like sharing with me, then make sure that you record your voice message by visiting theinspiringtalk.com/speak. That is theinspiringtalk.com/speak S P E A K. And I might feature that on upcoming episodes of the Inspiring Talk podcast. Thank you so much for listening. I'll catch you in the next. Now, go out there and do something inspiring.